be with you guys here, and um, don't tell Pastor Bobby, but uh, I guess it took him getting sick for me to finally come and visit you guys. And, uh, hey, B- Pastor Bobby, if you're listening, we, I just said that we hope you get better soon. So, um, hey, God bless you, and so it's really, really, really good to be here with you. It's, it's, it's a great privilege, and I want to invite you to come with me to the Gospel of John chapter 20. I love this image of um, uh, a while ago I got to read a book from a guy that, um, who runs a ministry in LA. Some of you guys might, might have heard of him, um, but the ministry is called uh, Homeboy Industries. And Homeboy Industries has been able to get a lot of gangs, uh, around 50 gangs throughout the city of Los Angeles. And they, they come together and they do business together, a brand new thing. The name of the book is Tattoos of the Heart. And this morning, I, I love that image. I love the image of having our hearts being marked. A tattoo cannot be done real fast. It takes a while, it takes a while. You have to add different colors, go back, come back, gets healed. And, and I, imagine, I imagine as we think of this, of this gospel text, um, that our hearts have been and they continue to be tattooed with a new world. And I love the image. A new world, really, I mean with a, a new hope, a way of living, which is radically different. So I would invite you to come with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. 19 through 23. And the Bible says, so just for you know, um, Jesus has already been crucified and died and Now we are in verse 19, on the evening of that very first day of the week. And that's super important, first day of the week. When the disciples were still together with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came in, or I like the translation that says, all the southern Jesus. And he stood among them and said, peace. Be with you. That word peace is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word that Hebrews would use to greet each other, saying shalom, which is like the greatest blessing of all. Peace be with you. And he said that after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were not just happy, they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Did you catch that? They had been filled with fear, and now they are overjoyed. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace, shalom. He's repeating it twice. He's like, he's got a message from heaven. Peace be all over you, like shower with peace. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. I love this. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. As you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not get to forgive them, I love how it says in the message translation, then what are you going to do? What else can you do? It says, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Could you close your eyes with me for a moment? Oh, God. Your word is a gift to us. Thank you. And your Holy Spirit is our teacher. 
So there's nothing that I can add here that the Holy Spirit would not be doing in all of our hearts. So your word is a gift to us, to guide us. Your Holy Spirit is our teacher. Father, I pray that you would give us humility to receive what you have to, uh, for us today, every single one of us. And I pray that you would give us courage to obey you in whichever way your Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts. Obey you immediately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to give you three words this morning. Just three words. The first word is the word peace. And I feel like that's important. That's huge. It changes everything. The second word, send. And the third word is forgiveness. So let's start with the word peace. The first word of a new world. As far as John is concerned, the gospel of John is such a, a majestic work of art. It's a literally work of art. I mean, we don't, none of us, no humans read in mass any book from antiquity like we read the Bible. And the gospel of John is incredibly unique, super powerful. It begins with these words, in the beginning, which is very interesting because the entire Bible in the book of Genesis begins with this word, in the beginning. And remember in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, what is the first thing that was put into creation? The Bible says that light, and it's interesting because the Gospel of John begins with John saying, in the beginning, he's like intentionally doing this entire thing, and then he says, and the light of life, which shines all over the world, was coming into the world. Which John is not just like happen, happen, he doesn't just happen to, to bump into some images that come from, like, whoa, I find this in the, in the Old Testament. No, it's incredibly intentional. He is telling us about something that everyone must know, and thus... I included those words of a new world. It's interesting because in the book of Genesis, remember uh, how, was how was the creation measured? It was measured by days. You remember that? And um, in our Western society, we measure days. We say the beginning of a day begins at uh, in the morning when we wake up. Some of you... Cannot begin your day until you get a cup of coffee, which, you know, in reality, that's not what you do. We all know that you go pee, and then you get coffee. <laughs> but, uh, but so you don't begin with coffee. But anyway, so we speak saying that, we speak saying that the day begins in the morning, which that's so human-centered, isn't it? That's so all-centered. In the morning when I'm active, about what it says in the beginning of Genesis. It says not that the day began with the morning. Remember how it began? It was the evening and the morning of the first day, which is a very weird thing of measuring, measuring days. And it's interesting because John is beginning his entire story of what's happening to his disciples in a brand new world. And when is it happening? In the evening. It's interesting because Jewish people measured days beginning at night when what are humans doing? Humans are useless at night. 
you know, we're just like, like about to fall asleep and, you know, like your brain cells have already like shut down. And, and then the Bible says that our God doesn't slumber. He does not sleep. Because, I mean, how can God just sleep for Americans? I mean, it's like 12 o'clock noon on the other side of the planet, you know. At every point, it's midday somewhere. When it's our night, our evening, God is active. Think about the theology behind that, the understanding that when you and I are useless, God is doing great things. He's active doing things. And when we finally wake up, we join something that has already been going in progress. Does that make sense? And so... John tells us that it was the first day, and it was evening, and if you were Jewish listening intently, you would say, but that is the old creation, but John is talking about something brand new. It is the beginning of a brand new day, and it's interesting because where are the disciples? The disciples are locked in fear. And if you go back to the very first three chapters of the book of Genesis, we find ourselves in the third chapter that we were hiding. This is our natural way of doing things. We tend to be hiding. And then in the midst of that, Jesus shows up. The word that John gives us there is the disciples on the first day of the week, first day of the week, in the evening, were locked in a room out of fear. The Greek word there is the word phobia. It's not like a mental, unique problem. It's the ceiling where we are all locked in in this planet. Our humanity is locked in fear. And that is, John is not saying this was unique to them. John is saying this is the standard for people that don't know that there is a brand new world happening. You and I live in fear. I just turned 54, and I am loving my 50s. You guys should all try it, and it's awesome, right? I used to think when I was in my 20s, these are my significant times, but I, little did I know that your 50s are amazing. Now, I need to confess that when I turned 45, I thought I was moving into the end of my life. I thought, 45, I'll just slip down, like slide right into 50s and into nothingness. And I really felt like, uh, you know, this, this thing that it was like burning inside of me. It's like, ah, I'm about to turn 50 and then, and then there's nothing. And, um, and then I turned 50. And uh, I don't know if you guys, if you know one of our new life pastors, his name is George Sosa. You guys know George Sosa? But so George Sosa is like an energetic pastor. He's, he, he's a pastor of our Spanish congregation at New Life Midway, 51st and Keeler. And um, he's like, a, you know, he's got, he's got this energetic thing that also comes with some Pentecostalism. And so Pentecostal Latino pastors say a lot the word jubilo. You know, have you heard that, by the way? Jubilo. So, jubilo in Spanish means joy, but it's strangely related to the word jubilee, isn't it? Jubilee. Now, um, when I turned 50, I was still trying to find my way through the darkness. And uh, I happened to be in a meeting where I ended up 
praying with George. And so George said, what would you like me to pray, to pray for you? And I said, man, I'm, I just turned 50, and I feel like I don't have a grasp of how sh should my life be. So he started praying, and he said, God, somehow, something, and another. And at some point, he lifted his hand, like, so, so George. And he was like, put his hand on me, and he said, God, give him jubilo. And I was like, oh. And I'm listening to that prayer, and it felt like the Holy Spirit told me, I'm giving you jubilee. I was like, oh, jubilee in the Bible is 49 years. You remember that? Seven weeks of seven, or seven times seven, 49 years in which the Jewish people were meant to live life. And the ups and downs. And then on the 50th year, there would be a horn blown. Burn! The horn itself was called Jubilee. The horn is like the ram's horn. And when the ram's horn would ring all over Israel... It meant that there was a year of full beginnings. Oh, man, amazing. I don't know if you have debts. Anybody has debts? I mean, you, you don't have to raise your hand. We all know you do. But, uh, um, but all debts were meant to be forgiven completely. Come on, give me a better reaction. All of your debts are completely forgiven. I mean, imagine college debts, car debts, you know, like, like credit card debts or whatever. How would you feel if all of a sudden tomorrow you hear a horn and it's announced throughout the city of Chicago, any, absolutely any debt that you have has been forgiven? Like, oh man. Like, no, like, like, literally, this car is mine now. Like, what? That's amazing. Like, literally, my college from 20 years, I don't have to pay it anymore. Whatever it is. And, um, and other things happen in Jubilee. And I remember praying and feeling like, oh, it's a brand new beginning. Like, it's a brand new beginning. Like, literally, my 51st year, I felt like I was a baby of one year. And then 50-year-old body, 51-year-old body, I guess. Um, since I turned 50 at that time, there's been a great new, fresh joy in my life. I am excited to live life. Anyone here who's over 50 can tell you that at some point you shed off the dumb ideas that you used to have that you thought were crucially important. And some things that are really important just feel like fresh. Like, I, I think I can tackle that. I think I can love this way. feel like, you know, whatever I do, I am this guy. You know, I'm not going to get taller or better looking. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just this. So might as well make peace, peace with that. Like, I'm looking at myself like, that's me. Like, all right. <laughs> that won't change. And it's interesting because... At some point, I started having this recurring dream once I turned 50s that I wish I could get in a time machine and go back and meet the 20-year-old Paco. What would I tell 20-year-old Paco? And I've thought about that a lot. 
I've, I've almost felt like, oh God, what, what would I do? And of course, you and I know that we can't do that, but we can actually literally talk to each other, older people to younger people, and in a sense, say this. So I've had this kind of dream. I played it in my mind that I'm like, like going back and meeting 20-year-old Paco. 20-year-old Paco had just arrived in Chicago. And I was fresh new follower of Jesus, and I thought in the city of Chicago, this is amazing, I can do anything, you know, with fancy nat- Frank Sinatra, if you can do it in New York, you can do it in Chicago, and you can make it anywhere, and I felt all those things, and I, I dreamed that I would show up and find Paco, the 50-year-old 50, 50 Paco coming, and meeting my 20-year-old Paco. Hey, Paco, how you doing? He's like, oh, who are you? I'm your 50-year-old version. 20-year-old Paco would say, ooh, life has been rough, I guess. I was like, like, shut up and listen to me. I came with an important message. And so um, I thought about what I would say. I wouldn't say, hang on, the Cubs will finally win at some point. I, I finally agreed that I think if I was to say one thing, I would echo what heaven always tells earth. When it comes, have you ever noticed in the Bible, every single time angels show up, they always open with the same thing. What do they always open with? Fear not. Now, if I was to ask you, how can you live out of so much fear? You probably would say, I'm not fearful. But to us who live in a world where we're locked with fears, it doesn't feel like we're fearful. But to angels, they keep on scratching their heads saying, why are they so fearful? Why is it that everything they do and say and pretend and it's like it's so locked in fear in such a way that every single angel without, without agreeing or practicing, they always come up with the same thing. I have a message for you, but first, oh man, don't be so fearful. It feels like everything we do out of our lives, we don't realize how filled with fear we are. It's interesting that in the midst of their darkness, in this world locked in phobia, all of a sudden Jesus steps into the middle of the room. And they start looking at Jesus. Did you notice the incredible jump from their fears to being overjoyed. It's just one verse. It's just one verse. One thing that happens to them, and then everything changes for them. A couple, a couple verses ago, they were like locked in fear, and a couple verses later, they're going out the door, pushing the door, kicking the door out into the world. What happened? How in the world do you defeat fear? How in the world can this new world live in fear? It's interesting. Without noticing, they started taking their gaze away from their window. In the window, they kept on looking at sounds and noises. And it was like, are they coming for us? It's like, what's going to happen to us? And eventually, the moment that Jesus shows up in the middle of the room, they put their gaze in Jesus. Now, think about this for a second. They don't give good theological affirmations, they bring all of their doubts and all of the fears to Jesus. They don't approach Jesus like, hallelujah, 
They approach him like saying, I think you're a figment of my imagination. I think you're a weird religion. Uh, how can all other religions, you know, it's like what, whatever it is, they bring all of their pain, their disappointment, and their fears, and their doubts, and that's why John tells us that he literally has to show his scars. He literally, now in the Gospel of John, it doesn't say it, but in the other Gospels, it says that they thought that he was a ghost, so that Jesus had to do something. Remember what? He had to ask for a taco. They brought him a taco. The moment he ate it, they all said, hey, uh, ghosts can't do that. You know, we all know, of course, that if Jesus wasn't Jewish, he, he would have asked for a taco. But uh, he asked for food, and so he ate it. And they slowly but surely get very clear that Jesus is really who he is. I do need to stop for a second and tell you that your doubts are not wrong. Your doubts are good. They're important. They're part of you. Your fears, your disappointments, your pain. What you're saying is like it doesn't. This morning and yesterday morning, a very good sister in our congregation died. Young, very young, out of cancer. It was I mean, she had been very sick with cancer and, uh, and we didn't know when she was going to die, but a lady called me last night, and she said, hey, uh, I prayed the entire fast that she would be healed, and I don't know what to do with this pain. And I told her, me too. And we cried in the phone. And, and then by the time we finished, she said, I, so, I am so glad that I can bring my fears up out into the world, out into the open. Because the moment you quit looking at the window, and you stare at Jesus, and you ask all kinds of questions from Jesus. He's not scared of those questions. He will give you what you need. Slowly put your gaze in Jesus. And Jesus speaks one word, one word. I know in your Bible it might say, peace be on you. The, the translation just says, shalom, just peace. In other words, he's saying, I am beginning a brand new world. I am having a brand new something that has never been done ever. And you can enter in this world, but the door for this world is peace. This little word shalom does not mean, the little word shalom is, is, a, is a greeting a Hebrew, that Jewish people give to each other. Shalom is a, is a great greeting. Um, like Spanish, hola, is shalom. But it's not just a greeting, it's a blessing. But it's not just a blessing, it is an invitation. It's an invitation to enter into a world not defined by fears. Your fear and my fear. It's interesting, uh, I live in a little village, a Mexican, Latino neighborhood, and I walk down the street, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm a... What do you call it? A, um, um, instead of inward, I'm out, outward. Um, uh, yeah, extrovert. Thank you. I'm an extrovert. So, so my favorite time of the service is go and greet your neighbors. Like, yeah! Worst time of the service is that's like, go and greet your neighbors. Like, ah, sweating. And like, can we not greet our neighbors? <laughs> And I walked down Little Village saying hi to everyone. 
I'm like, hi, good morning, God bless you. People say hi. It's not just a greeting, shalom. Shalom is also an invitation to enter into, to step out of a world of fear. Quit looking out the window and to put your gaze in Jesus. You remember when the Apostle John wrote his last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations. It begins with him having this crazy vision. The first day of the week, which is very intentional. John is always intentional. The first day of the week, I was in the presence, in, in the spirit. And then all of a sudden, he has this vision of Jesus. And Jesus comes with power. It's the vision of the present Jesus. No longer crucified, no longer a baby, not a future Jesus, a present Jesus. And he describes it in such ways like, you know, his voice was like, and his feet were like fire. And it's amazing. But remember what Jesus says. He says, I am the one that was dead. And behold, mm -hmm, I am alive. <laughs> I love it. And then he says, and I have the keys. I was going to borrow keys from you, but I realized that nobody carries any keys anymore. I'm like, you don't have keys? All right. Oh, yeah. Behold, I have keys. Remember what were the keys of? Of Hades. It's like, it's like you're going into a big building and stealing the keys. It's like, ah, I have the, the keys to, to the Willis Tower. And um. He shakes him in front, of, in front of John. I have the keys of Hades. I have no idea what Hades is, but it has to do with death. In other words, I've gone into death, and I'm the owner now. I'm the proud owner of whatever Hades had stolen. I think you and I need to know that. It's interesting because in Good Friday, death had eaten all kinds of meals that had had trees and relationships and all kinds of animals and insects and birds and fish and, you know, mountains and cities. That had eaten people, men, women, old, young, fat, skinny, all kinds of everyone. But death had never eaten divinity. So on Good Friday, Dad got his Italian, like, you know, um, napkin, fork and knife, and said, hoo, hoo I've never tasted juicy divinity. And so he took a bite of Jesus, bite of God. I've always had a hard time thinking, how do I celebrate Holy Saturday? This is my way of celebrating Holy Saturday. I always remember this. Because on Good Friday, death took a bite of divinity but on Holy Saturday, realize that he cannot swallow divinity. So at some point, death is like, hmm, taste good. I love the idea. I love the vision of death choking on divinity in such a way that he had to swallow. It's like, it's like, croaks. And Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus shows up, the first day of the week, the evening of the first day of the week, Jesus shows up saying, ding, 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 ding. I have the keys of whatever Hades has been able to do. 
And the way of speaking of that is peace. The moment you enter, you encounter the resurrected Jesus, you and I are marked. Our hearts are tattooed slowly but surely with God's peace, with God's shalom. It's a brand new vision of the world. I no longer, you and I no longer look at our world the way we had looked at it from the position of phobia, fear, controlled by fear, locked in fear. Now we get to look at the world from the position of God's new shalom invading this world. Here's the second word. The second word is the word mission, is the word mission sent out. You and I have been sent out. Have you ever noticed that if you're interested in something, you lean in? If you are not interested in something, you sit back. You even cross your arms like, oh, I'm not interested. And you look, you have like faces and like, hmm. But if you're interested in something, you lean in, right? And like, want to hear more. I'm like, give me more. It's like, what? When's that? When is that? Peace of God, once it comes into the heart, it has a leaning. It pushes you out. Pushes you out. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit, the moment that he comes in, it just pushes you, puts both hands on your back and pushes you out. God's shalom cannot make you sit back. It pushes you out. It leans you in. It's interesting. When was the last time that you were shoved? Somewhere, you know, they were shoved. Somebody like, like pushed their hands in your back. You weren't expecting it, and they shoved you in. Been thinking about that for a while. Usually, it has to do with a pool. <laughs> you're like standing next to a pool with something in your hand, like ah, you're in the water. Um, I remember. I was just thinking about this. I was remembering uh, when I was in junior high in Mexico. For some reason, our teachers thought that it was a good idea to put junior highers to dance, and so they would they, they would like organize dances. And at some point, the music's going boom, 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 and all the boys are on one side, and all the girls are on the other, and nobody's moving. And some at some point, you you just knew and expected it. Some, you know, unsuspecting boy is pushed right in, the, right in the middle. I remember that so clearly. And so they end up dancing. <laughs> I love the Lord of Rings. I love those movies. Uh, I, it's like there's, there's like, you know, orcs and there's dragons and there's wizards and there's, you know, all kinds of humans and horse lords and, you know, trolls and all those kinds of things. And then there's hobbits. And hobbits do not like any adventure. Like, leave me alone. They like harvesting the ground because it's predictable. And then one day this wizard shows up into Hobbit Town, into the Shire, and tricks this unsuspecting hobbit, Bilbo, to go out into adventures, into an adventure. And so he goes into an adventure and goes, and he never dreamed that he would be fighting orcs and he would be like talking with, with dragons and he's like, you know, meeting elves and all kinds of things and dwarves and all. And, and he finally comes back with a magic ring back into the Shire. And then 
during this time in his life, he keeps on telling stories to his nephew that he has he's adopted. His nephew's name is Frodo. And at some point, he says this, which Frodo never forgets. He says, this is what Uncle Bilbo used to say. And I think we have it in the screen. He says, I, uh, you, you never know. It's a dangerous business going out your door. I love that. Dangerous business. Because if you don't keep your feet to yourself, who knows what incredible adventures you might be swept into. This little word, mission, flows out of the peace of God, a vision of shalom that pushes you out. I have no idea for the life of me why am I, what am I doing in Chicago. Somehow, I ended up in North Carolina. I was a bitter young man in my high school years. And I met this young man who had, had grown up as a missionary kid in, in Haiti. He had been in a motorcycle accident where he hit a truck and he lost his eye. His helmet broke, his eye came out. By the time I met him in high school, sophomore year, he had had reconstruction, surgery in the side of his face, and um, he had a shell on the, on the eye. It was like every night he would take it off and it looked weird, you know, like a little scary for movies. And, and he would put it back on at the beginning of it. And that kid, when he was 11 years of age, the, the days when I clearly became, began becoming a bitter kid. You know, I, I, I didn't live with my parents anymore. It's a long story. He had had that accident. And at some point as a young 11-year-old kid, he decided I could hate God for what happened to me. Or I could thank him because I have my life back. I can live. Just talked to him last week. His oldest daughter is getting married. Super excited. Became my, my very first friend, the oldest friend I have in America. He never preached at me. He always just told me about Jesus. It, un, uninvited, he just said, hey, this morning I talked to Jesus about the problem that you have. I was like, I never met anyone my age that talked to Jesus, talked to God in such a way that his life filled with peace just attracted me. Whatever that thing you have, I want. And at some point, I stepped out of the door and I was swept to in the thing that I would never, never, never go back. I, I, would, I would do it all over again. With failures and pain and sorrow and tears, the joys, the excitement, the love of God, just like Hannah was speaking to us this morning, has entered into this cold heart. My, relate, my broken relationship with my dad has been made new. I love that guy. Man, I just feel like I would never want to do anything else other than walking with Jesus because the peace of God, once shalom enters and captures your imagination and washes away the phobia and the fear in that world. It moves you out of faith into a brand new world on mission, going out into the world, loving neighbors, seeking how can we help? There's immigrants in our city. How can we problems in our city? Instead of running away, how can we run towards them? I love that. I could never do it. Hey, listen, I am a coward by nature. 
But by God's grace, my faith, this faith that comes into me that is not mine, makes me courageous to run into places instead of running out of places, which I would naturally do. This is a third word. The third word is the word forgiveness. The Bible tells us that Jesus then looked at his disciples and he breathed on them. Like, wow, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? Like, uh, I'm going to give an altar call so people can come and I'll breathe on you. I'm just kidding. I, was like, I, did, I did brush my teeth after coffee. So. Um, he breathed on his disciples. It's interesting. Um, what does the, well, the breath of God was that thing that happened in the very beginning of creation. You guys remember that? When we were like dirt, you know, and like, wow, wasn't that awesome? You guys remember that? That, that was like awesome dirt and like humans, oh, and then he breathed on us. It was like, what? Animated souls, living out souls, breathing. I always imagine this. It's like, you know, you and I have to breathe in, breathe out. I imagine that the breath of God is still like we're connected as humans. And then at some point we lose the rhythm and we lose our hearts. And that's just my imagination. But Jesus comes back and he breathes and he starts the cycle again in such a way that now we breathe in and out. And Jesus ends up saying crazy things. Whoever believes in me will never die. In other words, life that can never be killed, life that is not controlled by death or fear, is no longer has power over you. I love what Tim Keller says. He just passed away this last year. He used to say that death for us, who were in getting involved in the world, locked tight into a world of fear, is to be a lion that would devour us. But the moment you believe in Jesus, you enter a world marked by peace, by shalom. Death is no longer a lion that devours you, but it's a kitty. Self-kitty that opens the door into the next section of your life. I love that. It's a beautiful image. Forgiveness. Our world is desperately, desperately needy for one thing. Reconciliation. Between God and humans. Between humans and humans. Brothers killing brothers. That's our heritage from Cain and Abel. That's our heritage. Cain went and built a city. And that's how we build cities. We build cities, and when, then we separate each other, and we put alarms, and put big fences, and put doors that we have to ring, and alarm and cars, and, you know, like guards all over the place from one another, and we put bypasses so that people would not come from here, there, and, you know, it was like, this is a world locked in fear. We live in it. The one thing that can break up the fences Forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness. And you and I have been invited to it. In fact, those who encounter the resurrected Jesus, the very first day of the week, at the evening of the first day of the week, even controlled by our fears, and we encounter Jesus, our hearts begin to be tattooed with his peace, with his mission, and that mission is forgiveness. Bring this reconciliation into the entire world. 
and to all of my friends, all my family. Treat enemies with love. You know, we're coming into an election season. The, if you're a Republican and you hate Democrats, hey, hey, that's not Jesus' thing. If you're a Democrat and you hate Republicans, that's not Jesus' thing. If you are marked by Jesus' new peace, controlling your heart, then you have been given a mission. Find your enemy and pray for him. Don't pray curses. This is what Jesus says. Pray for them. And then he says, and not only pray for them, but bless them. In other words, he's meaning don't, don't pray curses on your, <laughs> on your enemy. Bless them. And then he says, just in order to be very clear, love your enemies. Love your enemies in such a way that you turn enemies into friends. And this is a powerful calling that does not flow naturally out of us. It's a powerful calling that flows out of the resurrected Jesus who has destroyed death. Amen? And his peace has come into our hearts and it pushes us out in order to seek the craziest enemies and reconcile them. And it's a powerful thing. Um, many years ago when I became a, a pastor, I, I had just become a pastor and we live in a community that would, you can tell is demonic because one side of the neighborhood is, 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 and the other side of the neighborhood, they hate each other in such a way that they kill each other. But it's a crazy demonic thing because there's no kids, any random kids on two sides of the gangs of, of our neighborhood that they, they don't, they have the most in common with each other than anywhere else in the city. I mean, take a random guy from this gang. His name might be Jose. And this other random guy from this other gang, his name is Jose. It might be that they like the same food. They like the same music. They might even come from the same town in Mexico. The only thing that makes them enemies is that they live in two different sides of the, of the neighborhood. Doesn't that blow your mind away? Doesn't that shows us that we live in a world that is crazily out of control with fear? When I started pastoring, just a, a few years into it, um, one guy on this side of the neighborhood was killed by this other side of the neighborhood, someone there. And, um, and so somebody in our church um, um, came over and said, hey, uh, can you do a vigil outside his house? A vigil in our community means just go and pray where the young man was killed, which happened to be right outside his house. He was right on the step, doorsteps of his house. And so said, um, you know, I guess I'm a pastor. I guess I can pray, you know. So, yeah, I'll go and pray. So my expectation was that I was going to show up. His family was going to be there, and I would console them and pray with them. And uh, pray Psalm 23rd. You know, it's a good psalm to pray. And so anyways, so I, I, I got ready, and I started walking. as just a few blocks from my house. And as I'm, like, turning the corner, I'm seeing, like, all these other young men and women just going that same way. And so I started, like, naturally thinking, I wonder what's happening that way. And so I, I got to the house, and they were all there. It's like good 50, 60 young men and women. So I went to the guy that had it, told me, hey, can you come and pray? And so I went and asked him, hey, so what's happening? And he said, you are happening. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like praying. You know, you remember, it's like, oh. And so I asked him, hey, well, what should I say? And he's like, well, you're the pastor, ask God, and then 
tell them whatever God tells you. Like, you know, that's like a pastor thing that you should do. Like, oh, was like, so I was like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't get that at Moody. You know, like, so what do you do? Like, so anyway, so I asked God, and at some point, I, at some point, I realized, I was like 38 or so, I realized I'm looking at all these young people, and they're half my age. Like most of them are right around half my age, which means that I might be their, their father's age. And so that's all I got from God. And, and he said one more thing. It's just in my heart. It was super clear. Uh, I remember it, I felt like I asked God, well, what would a father do? And, you know, like literally probably their father is the one person they wouldn't want to encounter here. Like, they wouldn't even want to hear from. And so I sense from God just saying, just give him. Hey, everybody else has yelled at them. You know, cops abuse him and yell at them. Like, school, they, like, their family has denigrated him. Like, the community hates him. It's like, give him what they don't expect. Give him grace. And that was all I got. And so then the guy that was leading, he said, hey, everybody, quiet, quiet, Pastor Paco. And then he just walked away. And, like, and so I, I said something like this, not coming out of me, but I just sensed that God deposited. And he said, and so I said, I noticed that most of you are around half my age. And so that makes me the age of your father. So can I speak to you on behalf of your dad? Not your mom, but your dad. At that point, I felt like there was like a reaction, like almost like a, I don't want to hear from my dad. You know, we're here to mourn our friend who died. And so I, I kept on going, and I said, if you allow me to speak to you as your dad, this is what I want to say to you. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for not being there? Will you forgive me for not having spent time with you when I should have? Will you forgive me for the way I treated your mother? Will you forgive me? And I just kept on going, and at some point I started weeping. And I thought, this is the dumbest thing. It's like, like what are you doing? And, and I just started weeping, and I kept on going, and I kept on saying, will you forgive me? I should have played ball with you. I should have, man, I should have done all these things. Will you forgive me? And I just started, I was just sobbing, and so I'm looking at the ground, and I'm thinking, this, uh, this, they'll never invite me to pray <laughs> again. And, um, and then as I'm looking at the ground, then I see two feet right in front of me, two shoes. So I look up, and there's a young man, and I keep on looking up. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder what's going to happen, but he had his arms open, and he too was crying. And he just said, if you were like my dad. And I just knew what he meant. And so I gave him a hug. And he wept on my shoulder. And I worked and wept on his chest. And we wept each other. <laughs> and then when we finished, you know, at some point, you know, you finish hugs, hugging somebody. Then he stepped aside. And there was someone else. And then I realized that a line has made up to come and hug their father who had never said, forgive me. And it broke my heart thinking what most young men in our neighborhood need. It's just a dad who's willing to say, would you forgive me? I wept with a bunch of young men, young women that, that morning. And I remember thinking, 
The peace of God comes into our world, pushes us out, and this is exactly what we all should be doing, passing on the forgiveness of God into the world. Here's what the church is, I believe. I believe that the church, if you can go to the next slide, I believe that the church is the people of God. I love that image, by the way. That's right at the arch. Can you go to the next one? The church is a people who have been marked by Jesus' peace. Next. Leaning out. I love that. Leaning out because they just can't hold in. And then finally, with a fire. Fire to spread God's reconciliation everywhere. I can I invite the worship team to come up to the front? And would you mind closing your eyes with me and standing with me? Lord Jesus, we confess that we live in a world filled with fear. Filled with with this thing that is in us that we never wanted, but it's part of us. Just like disciples, phobia all over. Not just around us, but inside of us. And then you step into our world. This morning, you're stepping into our world once more. And you're speaking these words that are completely unexpected. And your word is peace. Shalom. And it's meant to shower us, soak us in from top to bottom, from all our past, all our present, all our future, filled with peace. And that peace is meant to be pushed, to push us out into our world. The city of Chicago, all of our friends, our neighbors, co-workers, relationships, seeking your forgiveness into our world. Jesus, we began by saying that your word is a gift and your Holy Spirit is our teacher. I do believe that you have been teaching all of us something very dif different, unique to each one of us. And now we also finish saying, would you get, we also began by saying, would you give us courage? Would you give us humility to receive what you have for us today? And then we finish by saying, would you give us courage to obey you immediately? So whatever you are meaning to do in our hearts now, I pray that you would push us, shove us out into doing whatever you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.